Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. On the expedition where you're sitting in the evening, you've had your dinner, you're drinking like matcha tea and you'd be drinking that inside the mountain. You're looking around, you're thinking there's that big mountain over there and we have to climb that. (laughs) So it really is about the journey. You're hearing from Joe Keena, who was the expedition doctor on nine trips for Earth's Edge. Joe shares stories from all of his adventures over the years, including getting sick himself on South America's highest peak, Aconcagua. We also discuss what it's like sharing a tent with your partner while working on a trek. We start out talking about how he got into expedition medicine and how he came to work for Earth's Edge. I just finished medical school. I was working in Drogheda at the time with a friend of mine, Claire, and she saw this advertisement in one of the Irish medical journals, and it was for an expedition doctor. And she just sent it on to me straight away and said, this is you. It was me. Like, you know, they were looking for expedition doctors to go to trips, uh, Kilimanjaro especially. I contacted you, Jam, and recalling into the office in Donnybrook and uh, went on my first trip that year and never looked back since. Loved it. Yeah, and you've gone on to lead like yeah. eight trips for us, which is amazing. And like, had you any interest in an expedition medicine before you saw the ad or was that the first you'd heard of it? Uh, yeah, no, I was interested. Uh, when we were in medical school, um, we, were able, we got a certain number of grants to do courses and I did a course in expedition medicine in Morocco. It was actually on Jebel Tubkal, run by, I think, Wilderness Medicine Training or something. It's a okay. UK organization. And we went out there for two weeks and we learned like, basic mountain skills, navigation, you know, we climbed Jebel Tubkal as part of it, which is actually the ninth trip that I did with Earth's Edge. I forgot that. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the trip I did with the um, the Ulster rugby players. Yeah, Chris Henry and Tommy Bowen, those guys. Yeah, yeah that was yeah, last year. Yeah. God, man, that seems that like so long year. ago. Yeah. That was my last trip, actually. Yeah. yeah, that was a great trip. But I'd done that mountain about 10 years before on an expedition medical training course. So okay. I was interested in it before. So that's why when I think Claire saw the ad, she was like straight away, this is you. And it was me. And was that your first experience trekking as well to do Jebel Tupkal, which is the highest mountain in North Africa, guys, just in case you're wondering in Morocco? It wasn't, no, because when I was in medical school in second year, everybody does an elective. So you go and you work in a hospital overseas for three months or so. And most of my friends were going to like Boston or New York or San Francisco. And I went to Kilimanjaro Christian Medical Center in Moshti. Okay. <laughs> on the base, on the, at the base of Kilimanjaro. Uh, I remember going there on my own, arriving in Arusha and working in this hospital, which is kind of the tertiary referral center for northern Tanzania. Like it's a big, big hospital. And halfway through it, decided we'd climb Kilimanjaro. And that was my first time on a mountain. I was about 23, 24 at the time. Nice. And I climbed it. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. And I've gone back twice since. Yeah. So let's talk about the trips that you've done. But the first one I was going to ask you, like, what way did you climb Kili back when you were 23? I guess a lot different than the way you've done it with us or how was it? Oh, completely different. Like I just, I did it with myself and two American girls and we just did it with a local guide. So we stayed in the huts. Oh yeah. Those kind of huts they have, yeah. Uh, which are not very pleasant experiences at all. 
but we stayed in the huts and we went up the, I think the Morango route, which is kind of the Coca-Cola route. Uh, whereas Earth Edge goes up the Machemi route, which is a much nicer route, I think. But we did, yeah, we, we got to the top. I definitely learned a lot from that in that we did it in very, with very minimal equipment. Mm. Uh, we had a sleeping bag, which was really, really bad. Uh, rain gear that just soaked constantly. Boots that were, had been worn by, I think, about 2,000 people before me. So okay, I think that was boots, wow. Yeah, and I think that was a trip where I really learned the importance of having proper equipment yeah. and how much more enjoyable, how, how it can take a trip from being, you know, a, a kind of an ordeal just to get to the top to actually a really pleasant journey. Yeah, so a lot of the listeners will have been to Altitude before and they'll know like it's all about going slow and having enough days in the itinerary. But for those of you that don't, you know, the, the shorter your itinerary is, the harder it is to acclimatize and the tougher it is in the body. So yeah. on your first trip, you went up the hut route, which is like a five day route, whereas yeah. our trips now are seven. To be honest with you, man, even with all my experience, I think that sounds hard, like, you know, to do that, yeah. like take two days off it, like fair play. Like I, I think a lot of people come back from Killy having done that hut route. And they must have absolute horror stories because they're not being looked after. There's no yeah. um, medical support. So people just get trashed. And I think it's why there's such a, you know, a, a low success rate on Killy because a, a lot of people going that way don't make it, you know? Like I, I think I didn't know any different at the time. Yeah. So I just kind of got on with it. And I was younger. So I just kind of put my head down and got on with it. Definitely now looking back at it, it's all about having the right equipment, taking time, going up going down going up going down sleeping well eating well and drinking well yeah yeah but listen man before i was um got into uh, high altitude mountaineering i was on a big kayak expedition in india northern india and we had three or four days left over in Leh in ladakh and we were yeah. sitting down having breakfast with a hangover and we just looked across the valley. I know you've been to Leh and we're going to talk about Stuck Angry. Yeah. I was going, look at that mountain there. Like, and we asked the waiter, what's that? And he's like, Stuck Angry. And, and we we're like, can you climb it? And he's like, yeah, you can. Yeah. So like literally after breakfast, we packed up our, like the bits and bobs of kayaking gear we had. Like we had some jackets and like hiking shoes and we took yeah. off, man. We did it like I didn't summit now. I got quite sick, but three of the lads did. Like we did it in three days. Like, you know, that's the way it is when you're young. You're just... Yeah, stupid's yeah. a fair description, isn't it? Really, like you know. Yeah, there's another <laughs> really nice mountain beside Kilimanjaro, actually, that we climbed when I was out there that summer called Aldangi Lengai. Oh wow, yeah, I've heard of it. It's incredible. Like it might be one to build into a Earth's Edge itinerary at some stage. Go on. It's yeah. only a one day or a two day trip, but it's the sacred mountain of the Maasai tribe. I know. And it's an active volcano, so there's like active lava coming from the top of the mountain. Yeah, and Maasai tribe will guide you to within I think 200 meters of the summit but they won't go to the very top because it's sacred for them but they don't mind you going and that was an incredible experience so I think things like that doing Kilimanjaro 22 Aldani Lengai going on safari awoken for me like that kind of love for adventure and travel and new cultures and new religions and broadens your mind and you know, you, you really see the world. Amazing. So, Kamira, you did Killy with us for the first time in 2012. How was that? That was brilliant. Yeah, we had a lovely, we had a lovely group. The good thing about our size trips is I actually would still have contact with people from that trip, which is eight years ago. Yeah. You know, I still remember there was a guy called Dylan on it. There was a guy called Carl yeah. on that trip. Really I, nice guys. I know those guys. Uh, yeah, they're nice. And I remember just that complete sense of achievement from, I remember Carl in particular, you know, he got a little bit of altitude sickness going up, but he just put his head down and he got to the summit and he was so happy when he got to the top and then coming back down again. 
So yeah, it was a great trip. We had lovely weather. We had, yeah, it was brilliant. And you had Aaron guiding that trip. Aaron, yeah. Aaron like is so experienced. Do you know what I mean? He's just really level-headed and just puts his head down and gets on with it. He leads a good apres climb party, <laughs> doesn't he? Like, you know, he charges from no. the front. Like, I've had to, I had to have a few stern words with him. Like, it's great banter. <laughs> but I'm like, listen, man, you know, just take it easy after the trip. You know, you're working like, but he just, he just can't help himself. You know, that's how he rolls. Yeah, no, th- that was a lovely trip on Kilimanjaro. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think with the, with the trips as well is that normally in life, you take weeks or months to get to know people yeah. because you might meet them at work and you'd have a chat here or a chat there. But when you're on a trip like that and you're walking with people for eight hours, you're sleeping in a tent with them, you actually make that transition from stranger to friend really quickly. Absolutely. Because you, have, you start having these kind of deep conversations after just like six hours, seven hours on the trail because there's no interruptions. Yeah. There's no mobile phones. There's no emails. There's no meetings to go to there's no lunches it's just literally putting one foot in front of the other but sure when you think about it man like i was talking to someone of this in the previous podcast like you're spending hours like the person you share a tent with in particular but you're spending hours and hours and hours chatting to people like for days on end and like you know if you think yeah. about your best mates like now the way the way our lifestyles are and we're so busy like you might see him for a couple hours yeah. you know three or four times a year people with kids even less you know so it, it really is like it's amazing the bonds that you form up on it yeah so from there what was your next trip after Killy? so after Killy, i think was the kenya tri adventure which is i think it's my favorite trip that and stock angry I, I find it hard to decide between the two yeah but kenya tri adventure is incredible like i know kilimanjaro is, is very popular because it's the highest mountain in africa but for me, Mount Kenya is a stunning mountain. Yeah. Like, I absolutely loved it. I really did. Again, who's the guide on that? Terence. Terence oh, yeah. is the guy uh, on Kenya. And it's just a lovely itinerary because you have your four or five days on the mountain. It's a much quieter mountain than Kilimanjaro. Stunning scenery. Beautiful summit day. And then you have your three days cycling. And then you have your day of uh, whitewater rafting. So you get a lovely kind of, you really get a feel. I felt after that trip, I really kind of got a feel for Kenya, mm. you know, because you, you're cycling through little country lanes and children are coming rushing out from their schools and they're all shouting jambo, 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 jambo. Mm. And you really kind of, you can really kind of absorb some of the culture. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the great thing about cycling. You just cover so much ground because you're, you're in a national park, so you don't get to meet that many local people. But when you're on that cycle, you know, you're just passing through villages and people have yeah. time to stop and you can have the chats. It's great. Yeah, it's a real good experience of what he's One of the highlights of that trip for me, and I've told loads of people about this, is actually the night that you camp out between the two cycle days. Yeah. You're camping out in this nature reserve. You do kind of a safari drive where you see hippopotamuses and lions and stuff like that. Then we had like a, an open fire at night. There's nothing separating us from the hyenas and the lions apart from the smell of the fire. <laughs> You're, you're sitting there around a fire. There was a girl on our trip, Siobhan, from Concern, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. The really good singer. She, we'd had, we, we were sitting around the fire. She was singing incredible Irish songs. And every time she stopped, you could hear a hyena or a lion roar in the distance. And I was like, this is actually just amazing. <laughs> and then you go into your tent at night and you're lying there. And you're thinking, there's actually nothing separating me from like the biggest predators in the world. <laughs> But the smell of a fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's times like that you just want to make sure you smell worse than other people yeah, so you won't yeah, get eaten, you know? Yeah. 
So Joe, you then went on and you, you were working on a trip to the Grand Canyon, a trip we don't do anymore, but amazing place. I actually uh, haven't guided on that for Earth's Edge, but I was there in February last year um, in winter. I spent two or three days down there. Super place as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I really, I really wanted to do that trip because I had been to, I had been over in the States when I was about 19 or 20 and I'd done what most people do when they go to the Grand Canyon. They go to the South Rim, they stand, they take a few pictures and they go home. And I thought... I haven't really experienced the Grand Canyon. I just stood there for like an hour or two taking pictures in this beautiful scenery. So then when that trip comes up, came up, kind of I jumped at it because like we flew out, we spent three days hiking down into the canyon, camping out on the canyon floor near like a, a, a native um, American Indian reserve. It was so warm that you don't even need the cover sheet for your tent. Mm. So we used to lie in the, like just sleep outside at night half the time with billions and billions of stars over you in the sky and I thought after that trip, I said, yeah, now I really feel I've kind of experienced the Grand Canyon now. I can say now I've been to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was there in February last year and it was there was two or three feet of snow. It was winter. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was great. Like both myself and my partner, Jenny, we were there and two or three feet of snow, but we hiked down into the canyon with spikes on. And when we got to the canyon floor, there was no snow. It's kind of surreal, like to, to walk down. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we, it was funny because it's obviously the middle of winter, like, and we just had two heavy nights in Vegas. So we actually, like, it was getting dark by four o'clock. So I think we got into the tent at like five and we woke up the next morning, like at nine o'clock in the morning. So we had a great experience at Grand Canyon, but we had a pretty epic time in, in, in Vegas as well. As you see, it's such, a, it's such a polar opposites. Yeah. Do you know, Vegas is this crazy, crazy city with noise and lights and music and people. And it's just so crazy. And then the Grand Canyon is this solitary, stunning, quiet mm. place. Like it just was going from like, like one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. Like, totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to Vegas is a dangerous place, but uh, that's that's for another podcast, you know. Yeah. So Joe, around that after that, we, you and I were on Aconcagua together, yeah. Yeah, that was my second time in Aconcagua. Okay, yeah, you went there. I remember that now. Do you say? I again, I went there in my pre earth Edge days. I think it was after I'd done Kilimanjaro on the medical on, on my 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 trip over to to Tanzania that I got this idea that I wanted to climb the seven summits. Yeah. So I said I'll pick Aconcagua. And I went there with a company, an American company. Again, we only got to like, I think just above the, the high, high camp around 6,000, 6,100 meters because the weather was so bad yeah. and the entire group had to turn back. So I always said, oh, I'd love to go back there again. No, what I, what I actually thought at the time was, I said, I'm never going back there again. But then <laughs> with the, the time, <laughs> there was an itch there that hadn't been scratched. So when that trip came up with you guys, I was like, yeah, let's go for it. It was incredible. Like we'd a, we'd a brilliant group. Yeah. Uh, like they were very experienced uh, clients on that trip. Big time. Yeah. People who knew what they were doing. The two boys from Claire. The two. They were incredible guys. Well, hold on. You uh, know, Kieran that was on that trip. I think that was his first trip. In fairness to him, like, wasn't it? Yes. He was, yeah. He was. But he he had a lot of hiking experience, and he, the boys kind of he was he was being well mentored, you know. But he did really well. Yeah. So yeah, that's that that's another another level. I think I can calculate. Yeah, it's a step up, all right. Yeah, but it was it was tough. Like you know. Um, I think I liked it because you're really on an expedition. Yeah. Like there's nobody carrying your gear. You're carrying everything yourself. So you do have to put in the training for that. 
Yeah. And it's nice and long as well. Like when you're on it away for 22 days, like you really feel you're on an expedition. It's a proper oh, journey. Yeah. yeah. No, that was a super trip. I always tell people I'm doing info talks in Aconcagua. I always talk about that vineyard we went to, man. Do you remember that? Oh, that was amazing. Oh, <laughs> it was so good. I was so hungover now, mind you. Like I'm slagging iron for drinking on trips, but geez, we had some party when we come down off, <laughs> off Aconcagua. But the next day we went to, can you remember the name of the vineyard? I can't remember the name of it, but I remember it was in my meat eating days. I don't know if it works so well now when you're a vegetarian, because Argentina is a big, oh, the they like their meat. Yeah, you get <laughs> the food on Aconcagua is insane. Like, you know, yeah. we do an info talk on Elbrus and Aconcagua on the same night, you know. I kind of say to people like, you know, on Elbrus, you're going to get lots of food. Like you'll be well, you'll be well fed. There'll be no problem with nutrition, but like, it's not going to blow your mind, you know, to be fair. Like I always yeah. try and like, undersell over deliver on trips but Aconcagua man it's amazing like we have like a glass of wine each night in base camp yeah, there's like steak, really cool. pizza yeah it's great like so you sound like a proper alcoholic on this on this episode but um yeah it's a super trip and that vineyard we were talking about it like you know you go out there and you've just spent like two weeks over two weeks on the mountain and you've had a shower you go out there and there's like a different wine paired with each of like yeah. six or seven courses and it's like immaculate you know it's one of these restaurants and you go into and you're like whoa which of these weapons am i is supposed to pick up for first you're like thinking of yeah. your you know you've been eating with a little plastic spoon for the last two weeks and then you're kind of looking at like and this year okay I take the cutlery from the outside in and try to remember your manners yeah. it's yeah it was an experience but when i look back at like those kind of trips like the likes of Aconcagua, what i'd remember is things like on the expedition where you're sitting in the evening you've had your dinner you're drinking like matcha tea and you'd be drinking that inside the mountain you're looking around you're thinking there's that big mountain over there and we have to climb that <laughs> yeah 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 so it really is about the journey there's a peak you know when you come up we go up the vacas valley on Aconcagua right before the second la the last camp before you go to base camp we, we come off the vacas valley and we climb up towards uh, plaza argentina but when you start seeing that hanging valley there's a peak that comes into view about five and a half thousand meters that you see first and everyone's like oh my god that's Aconcagua like it looks huge you know and then you walk about another kilometer up the valley and you get a, a new perspective and you actually see this like what is you know just 40 meters short of a seven thousand meter peak and suddenly yeah. you're kind of like okay this is the target you know it's yeah yeah it's, it's mad and then you're driving away and you're watching it in your rear view mirror after the trip and you're like yeah, very satisfying to get up there. It was a cool trip. It was a cool trip. It was a tough trip. Yeah. It, it pushed me to my limits, I'd say, uh, that trip. But uh, but that's experience, man. I think if you're back there again, you'd feel a lot more comfortable, to be honest. You know? Well, that's it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I did Stock Hungary two years later. And I remember getting standing in the summer of Stock Hungary, which is, what's it, 6,100 and something meters. Yeah. And I actually felt so fresh. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant <laughs> amazing and come here you were talking about stuck angry what a, what a place ladakh is it's incredible isn't it oh it's one of my favorite places i loved i loved the i loved the, the whole itinerary of that trip you know where you start off and then you have the few days to acclimatize visiting the monasteries really getting a feel for kind of buddhism we had a really good guide this girl that brought us to the different monasteries and she she brilliant english and she knew so much about buddhism and she like i came away from that thinking, wow, I've really got to know something about like the Tibetan culture and about Buddhism. We were particularly lucky on that trip. There was a client on the trip, Olive. And I think this is probably one of my, and I was talking to Craig about this last night, about things I would bring up on this. Mm. And, I, and he was saying, yeah, you always say that. That was one of your best things. So Olive is a yoga teacher. And every evening on our Sakangri expedition, 
for an hour after we arrived at the camp, she'd do an hour of yoga. Awesome. And it was incredible because mm. you're just, you're just, you're just like sitting there beside maybe a, a river and surrounded by these massive peaks and she's leading you through a, like a yoga flow. And I was thinking that this is what life is about. You know, it was just amazing. Like, and I've stayed really good friends with her ever since. Yeah. I've met her at the Christmas party. She's lovely. She's oh, nice. she's amazing. Yeah. She's lovely. She's got a real yoga voice. You know, people who've got a yoga voice. Yeah. You could they just sued you just once they start talking. <laughs> I think like if I if I learned to be a yoga teacher and uh, you could just imagine me doing a yoga class on a trip, like the big the big Tipperary <laughs> bogger accent on me, you just started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was that was an amazing experience. And we like when I talked when I meet people from that trip now, we would still talk about that. And yeah. you can see the emotion in people's voices when they remember like that that's what life is about, you know, like lying there doing like yoga in the middle of northern india surrounded by mountains and yeah it was incredible i don't know whether it's because you're in the himalayas and you know it's i guess rishikesh and that area is like it's so spiritual there you kind of feel that sense and it's so dramatic it really adds to it you have to go back to peru man and do our new chucky corral trek chucky corral is insane like it's just because there's nobody there when you're there just it's like it's incredible. It's a very, very spiritual place. I'm trying to think, like, my memory is so bad. Sheena, the doctor on that trip last year, she did a couple of yoga sessions with us as well. I'm trying to think if we did it at Jokey Corral. I think we just sat around. I asked people to just take a minute and take it all in. But yeah, yeah. just like, it's just so humbling, isn't it, when you're surrounded by big mountains and in a special place. Maybe in 2021. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Fingers crossed, like. <laughs> we, you deserve it, like. Jeez, we've had a tough year with this bloody pandemic. <laughs> Let's take a break there for some quick fire questions. What was your first job? First job working in Dunn stores, packing shelves in Galway. What song is always on your workout playlist? Oh, I love Stand By Me. I listen to it all the time when I'm running. I love it. I've got this life goal to be able to play Stand By Me in the guitar, but I haven't been very successful so far. (laughs) She's still a plenty of time, man. What are you reading right now? I am currently reading a book by John Boyne. He's the guy who wrote The Boy in Striped Pajamas. And it's a really good book about a boy who discovers he preferred to be a girl and then how he passes that on to his family. Really good. Cool. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? Uh, Russell Brand. (laughs) What's your favorite food to eat on a mountain? Oh, dal. That was the best thing about Stock Hungry was the food because I'm vegetarian. And like, I could eat dal all day. Yeah, absolutely, man. India is the best place in the world to be a veggie, I'm sure of it. Definitely, yeah. What's your favorite piece of kit? Favorite piece of kit? Uh, my rain gear. It's never let me down. Wow. What kind of rain gear have you got? Uh, it's North Face. I got it about 10 years ago. Wow. And it's brilliant. I also have a rucksack that I absolutely love that I got in Hoi An in Vietnam for $20. And it's never let me down either. <laughs> Super. What's your biggest pet peeve when traveling? Queues. I hate queues. I hate airports. I find the most stressful part of a trip is actually getting there. I remember one guide said to me once that once you're on your mountain, I feel safe. And I, I agree with that. I think once we're on the mountain, I'm quite happy. But getting there, airports, customs, nightmare. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I, I can I can second that. You know, once we're on the mountain, we control everything by the weather. But like, yeah, yeah. there's all, a lot of third parties that can feck us over once, once we get there. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? Hmm. I definitely like to travel. 
I'd like to take a lot, of, a lot more traveling. Myself and Craig, we've got this plan that in a few years, we're going to take a year off and spend a year traveling. So I think, yeah, traveling. I like my job. I like what I do, but I'd love to travel more. Yeah. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, cranky. <laughs> uh, cranky, patient, and can't sit still, really. Love traveling, love exercise, love sports. Craig always gives out that I can't just like sit down and like have a lie in on a Saturday morning. I'm like eight o'clock, like time to go for a run now. <laughs> I'm the same, man. If I have to be going all the time. Jeez, you're very harsh on yourself, calling yourself cranky. But you know, it's I ask you to describe. I'm aware of it. I work on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your toughest time or experience on a mountain, Joe? With those? Oh, I can tell you. Like, I think I learned a lot about myself as well. I probably didn't eat enough. And I probably didn't drink enough water. And unfortunately, with a lot of lessons in life, you learn them the hard way. Always. So I realized, like, I was fine until I got to high camp, which in Akinkag was about 6,000 meters. And then on summit day, it's a long day. And I got up and I wasn't as strong as I should have been on a summit day. And as I started, started walking, I felt weak, but I was able to keep going. And then when I got to the summit, as I started to come down, I started to feel really unwell. That was the only time I've ever had altitude sickness on a mountain. But I was thinking, when I had the enough insight into it in my own brain to be able to comprehend that I needed to do something about this. Like I felt really nauseous. I started getting really bad headache. I knew I had to get off the mountain, which is where we were going anyway. And then I just felt really drunk. Like I was literally just trying to hold the, the rucksack of the, the guide in front of me. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, I feel so drunk. And I sat down and I was lucky because there was a, there was a girl on the trip uh, who was a vet who uh, and I just said to her because like there was no other medics and I was the medic I was meant to be looking after people like you know and here was me <laughs> sick and not even able to stand and I was like I need something so like obviously we have all the medical equipment ready for altitude sickness and especially on summit day we'd have a bag with like our Diamox and our dexamethasone and I was like I think I need dexamethasone which is like a steroid we'd use for altitude sickness so I got her to give it to me and then get me down and I really questioned my life there for a few hours. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why am I taking my time? But I learned the hard way. Yeah. Like I really push it because it actually does come down to that with clients um, on trips. It all, it just comes down to eating, sleeping and drinking. Yeah. You know, obviously training and putting in the, the work beforehand and getting yourself physically fit. But if you drink your four to five liters of water a day, if you eat every day, even if your appetite is gone, your chances of getting altitude sickness are, are, re- are much lower. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> it's it's really about looking after yourself, isn't it, on these big mountains? It really and, is, because yeah. your appetite does go, and the natural tendency is just to go, mm, I'm just not hungry, I just think I'm just going to, you mm. know, lie down for a while, but you need to eat. Yeah. You need to get the calories into you. I actually think yeah. back about it, I remember on, on that Arak and Kagawa trip, there was a British team on the mountain the same same time as us, you know, when we met them in base camp, they were all really going ho about how they were going to do the summit. And then they just weren't looking after themselves very well. A lot of them were sunburned and they had a party yeah. at like four up there up till four o'clock in the morning, like one night before they went for a summit. Yeah. Like that's kind of extreme um, self-punishment. But uh, yeah, they just weren't really on it. You know, they, we met them a few times. They weren't drinking water. And they're dehydrated and they just really, really suffered on the mountain. Whereas we were smart. We waited till we got off the mountain to to go to go at like it, you do see you do see people who are so obsessed with getting to the top of the mountain 
that it takes over like this summit fever. Like it's easy to say, but it is really about the journey. It's not about standing on the top of the mountain for half an hour. Yeah. You know, the journey, it's walking through these stunning scenery and like seeing all these beautiful places around you. Um, and it's not worth putting your health at risk to stand at the top. Yeah. Um, that could be a challenge sometimes because people are prone to altitude sickness regardless of all the, the exercise they've done. They can, it can still happen. And some people deal with it obviously better than others. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's nothing wrong with like thinking going out to Aconcagua and going, look, I really, really want to summit the mountain. And if that's your attitude and someone says to you, like it's about the journey and all that, you can sometimes be a little bit like, yeah, whatever, you know, if you're if you've less experience. But what I would say on top of it being about the journey is like it definitely is about winning every day. Like if you when you're walking in like in into approaching into into base camp, like it's it's 40 degrees, man. So like if you get burnt there, you know, we had some people on our team or especially that, yeah. that other team that we met, like, and they just got like their beak, their nose just got completely destroyed. It yeah. just means you're uncomfortable then for the rest of the trip or if you develop a respiratory problem. And like if you, once you get to higher than base camp, that those kind of things, they just don't heal. There's not enough oxygen in the air. So no. when you're up at high camp and it's time to get up, it's like three o'clock in the morning, we're going for a summit. And the wind is shaking her tent and it's like minus 20 or lower outside. Like suddenly that sunburn is going to be a doubt in your mind that's going to make you fail before you even start. I remember one of the guides saying at the start of the trip, now at the start of any trip, this is not a time for a diet and it's not a time for a suntan. Yeah. <laughs> you eat, you eat, you eat no. and you protect your skin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about preparation, you know, having the right gear protecting yourself drinking eating sleeping you know and absolutely just, and dealing with whatever the nature throws at us whether it's the weather whether it's the mountain and i remember on the second kilimanjaro trip i did there was a really nice guy on it as well and he trained really hard he was really really fit and healthy and everything else but he just really struggled with the altitude above is it baraku camp above there he just started getting really sick yeah. and nauseous and dizzy and like obviously we encouraged him to keep going and to continue on but he decided himself that it was just too much. And it, it was the right decision. It was completely the right decision for him. Um, but it was really hard and very emotional because, you know, the people have put so much effort into this. Mm. Uh, but he turned back anyway. And But I was very impressed because by the time we had come, so he went back and he went back to his tent then for an hour or two. But he actually set his alarm to get up an hour before we were due to come back. Amazing. And he walked all the way back up to meet us as we were coming back down. Cool. And I thought that says, that says a lot about somebody. Yeah, Do you know it does. What I mean? It really does. He didn't yeah. lie there in his tent, angry and everything else. He just accepted. That's just yeah. that's just what happened that day. And he like had his, gave high fives to everybody as they were walking down. And I thought that that's a really nice person. Yeah. I, I I love mainstream sport, and you always hear about uh, team team sports where you know someone gets dropped off the team and their attitude is so important. You know, I think if you're, you know, if they stay positive, it can really um, help everyone. Like, so it's funny, like when you're coming down with a team off a mountain, like you maybe two or three people have to manage the summit. When you come off again, you meet them or you're in, in the, hotel afterward everyone is kind of like feeling sorry for them and their attitude can dictate the tone for the rest of the trip if they're like i'll go back and do it again sometime or you know that's just just wasting my time but if they're really down it can it can be tough for everybody but um 
at the same time, it's super disappointing for people. It is, yeah. So, Kamir, you were talking about going back to Peru to do Match Picchu and Chucky Corral in 2021, if at all possible. But um, what other trips, what are your other big trips that you want to do, your bucket list trips? Are you still thinking about Seven Summits or where's your head at? No. I've got older and I'm not <laughs> anymore. All right, granddad. I, You're not that old, Joe. Jesus, man. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely, we're, myself and Quaid, we've talked now for a while about taking a year out. And that's all about travel. So we have great plans, like spend six months in South America, six months in New Zealand, and just really travel and see the world and everything else. I think as regards Earth's Edge, I'd love to do the Island Peak one. That's the one of yours that I would really like to do at some stage, you know, obviously time permitted and everything else. So I would like, I'd like that idea. I think what Akin Kaikou probably taught me as well is, I think 6,000 meters is high enough for me to go. Yeah. I'm happy to stick around the Stock Hungary, the Island Peak kind of area. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to jump for any 7,000 feet because I don't think. <laughs> That's good, man. It's good to know what you want, you know, because I think I know in my past, like I used to be super into kayaking and I actually kept going, like, you know, I associated myself with being a kayaker and keeping doing that sport. So I did it like, pretty much all I did from 10 to 26 to 28 around that age and uh, I just wasn't enjoying it at the end so I would always say to people you know who have aspirations to do the seven summits like do Kilimanjaro do Elbrus do Aconcagua and if you're still enjoying it go on and do Denali and then after that like you really need to get your checkbook out and start spending big money but just take it one mountain at a time and just gradually increase because like obviously when you come off a summit like you're like oh never again am i ever doing this like you know and then after a couple of weeks you're like okay i'm ready to go back you know but it is good to check in with yourself i don't know how you'd agree with this now and depending on what list of the seven summits you look at but when i tell people i tell them i've done four of them oh do you know yeah because i ran up kosciuszka in australia (laughs) look (laughs) which is a lovely two thousand meter peak (laughs) that's fine by me man like because you know whatever the seven summits are whether they're all over the world or you know in your backyard and as long as you're happy you know that's the most important thing but yeah fair play four is good man i've done four myself actually i think have i yeah Yeah, but you've maybe done a different four (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i'll do any more to be honest it's not a, a high up on my bucket list i have always had kind of vague aspirations about denali simply because anybody I know who's been there, they've always said, not so much because of it's a seven summit, but they always say it's the most beautiful mountain. Uh, yeah. So many people have told me that. They say it's just such a beautiful mountain. And I like that idea. But obviously you've been there, so... It's stunning, you know. man. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. And come here, I want to ask you, what was it like having your husband Craig on, on Machu Picchu while you were working? Did you find that awkward? Because I've done loads of trips with my ex we had a quite a fiery relationship so it was it was interesting at times but how did you guys get on while working together like um yeah it was grand like it was actually fine and Machu Picchu was the perfect trip for us because like I know Craig and he would have no interest in try going to the top of a mountain he likes the idea of a trail he likes the idea of a, a path like a Salcante trail that we do in Machu Picchu it was perfect four days and we finished at Machu Picchu and it was stunning it was perfect for him so I know his limits yeah. So I wouldn't bring him on like Island Peak or anything sure. like that. Why would you do that to somebody if they didn't want to do it? Like, this is pure torture. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. He'd kill me. He'd kill me. This was his limit. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And he's still really good friends from a couple of people from the Machu Picchu trip. And uh, one of the girls, every, every week or every few weeks, they, they post each other books. It's, no it's way. really cute. Like old yeah. school, like actually in the mail. Yeah, yeah, Dirty. yeah. Post books. So they, but as regards going on the trip with him, I think it was lovely. It was a really nice experience. It was a place that we really wanted to go. He really enjoyed it. 
the challenge for me, I suppose, was to remember that I wasn't there just as his husband, yeah. that I was obviously there in a professional capacity as well. So I would kind of spend a bit of time with him and then I'd always make an effort to kind of go around to all the clients and just check in with them and just make sure, just ask myself, I'm not spending too much time with him now, am I? Like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing here as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was fine. I was talking to him there last night and uh, he, he was, he was talking to me about it. And I said, I think of all the trips I've done in Earth's Edge, I've never had a bad review from a client apart from you. <laughs> <laughs> no way. He was giving you shit, was he? What did he say? Because he was like, you didn't really take care of me as much as you should have. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's, I was like, I was too busy with everybody else. <laughs> I know you totally, like when you're working on an expedition and your partner is there, like you're just that little bit more on edge because you're like, you're in a rush all the time. And yeah, you just, it's, it's like, it's like working for family. Like you end up getting yeah. exploited or screwed over or something like, like you won't like, like me saying it, but my dad, George, who you've met, like, Ah, uh, geez, man, when I was growing up, like, sure, the medical treatment we got was ridiculous. Like, he should have been, no, yes. I shouldn't say that on the podcast, but that's just the way it is, isn't it? Like, you know, it's... Yeah, well, know. like, if a client had come to me on the Machu Picchu trip and said, I'm feeling very tired, I'm not really that hungry at the moment, I'd be like, oh, come on, look, let's make sure you have something to eat, let's sit you down, let's talk to the, the chef or whatever and maybe get you something to eat because you need to get your calories in. Yeah. If Craig came to me and said he's not hungry, I said, you're grand, just eat it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not dealing with you, like, just get over it, like, you I, know, like, I don't so want to hear this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 neglect, like. <laughs> but I definitely would do it again with him, like going to somewhere like Machu Picchu with him. Yeah. It really is one of the most incredible places in the world. Yeah, it is. Like, it's just incredible. And like, obviously it, it was built up a lot in my head and I was thinking, oh, it's not going to be as amazing as that. But actually, is that amazing? But here, listen to this, man. The new itinerary when we go to Chokey Crown, then six or seven days later, we go to Machu Picchu. Honestly, yeah. like hand on heart, everybody's totally underwhelmed. Like this, okay. it's insane. Now, it's like, it sounds very, um, I sound like a knob saying that, I guess, in a more articulate way of saying that. But yeah, yeah. this new place is insane. And the tri trip is tough. Like it's the same, same amount of difficulty as Kili. It's a level five trip. So we got four okay. days where it's really, really tough. That's cool. Yeah. You guys have to go back. Okay. I got Craig to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'd give him a good rundown because, you know, he'll be told, oh, we're going back to Machu Picchu. And you're like, oh, great, Joe. Yeah, I can't wait to go. And then you'll be like, change the itinerary. And now it's like, you know, there's four, 10 hour days with well over a thousand meters elevation gain. And he's yeah. like, what the After fuck? After this year, I think he definitely needs a few weeks in the Greek islands or maybe on the south of France. <laughs> don't we all, man? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Being a gay man in Ireland, you've seen massive changes in our collective attitude and acceptance of homosexuality. For anyone who doesn't know, we had a referendum in Ireland on same-sex marriage in 2015, and we passed it with an overwhelming majority. It was a special moment for the country. We had some session to celebrate it, man. Do you remember what it was like in Dublin? It was so much love in the air. It was absolutely amazing. How was that for you? It was a very, very emotional time. Or Before the referendum, I went out canvassing door-to-door -door with friends of mine. And it was strange because literally every door you knocked on, you kind of had to justify who you were. You yeah. know, so you were knocking at a door and you were saying, look, I'm canvassing for a yes vote in the marriage referendum. And the majority of people were lovely. Like people answered the door and they said, oh, you can keep the leaflets. Look, everybody's going to vote yes in this house. Don't worry about it at all. It'll definitely go through. But some houses you'd go to and you get really negative. And it was just so emotional. Like, yeah. And I remember coming home to Craig after one day of canvassing and said, if this is a no vote, I said, we're leaving the country. I know. I said, it was that personal. It was yeah. so personal to us. So that morning, I remember waking up. But again, 
I went for a run and all the hints that were coming through were obviously very positive. But then when the actual result was announced in Dublin Castle, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Oh, like man. people I've never seen crying were crying because it was like, wow, yeah, we're, we're the same as anybody else. We're normal. Do you know what I mean? And that's all it was. It wasn't saying that we're any better or any worse. It was just saying that you're just the same and you had the same rights and you had the same equality as anybody else. But it was so emotional. Yeah, it's such a proud moment for the country, wasn't it? Like, when did they make homosexuality legal, legal in Ireland? That was in the... Oh, I think it was I think it was technically still illegal until the 80s. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, yeah. there's people, like, campaigning and, and for this, yeah. for, for, for that long. Um, what are we talking about, like, 35 years? I was definitely one of the people who were, like, jumping on the bandwagon and... Um, at the last minute, you know, going out in the session on the day of the referendum. But geez, man, it was one of the best days in Dublin. It was just, atmosphere oh, was, was incredible. incredible. Like, it was just a street party. Yeah. The weather was good. It was, it was insane. Oh, it was incredible. It was, it was incredible. And then obviously a year later, I proposed to Craig. And then in 2018, we got married. And, yeah, you know, a few years before that, that would have been impossible. Yeah. You know? And I, it, there is a difference. Like, there is a difference between a civil partnership and a marriage. Like, it's either the same or it's not. Yeah. Oh, so big time. It did feel amazing to be able to do the exact same thing as my sister had done, who'd got married a year before then. My other sister who got married, it was like, oh, there's three weddings in, the, in three years and they're all the same. Yeah. No, it's you know what I mean? What I wanted to ask you is like having done your first trip with us in 2012 and then obviously doing one up to last year, like what's it like, what was your experience of being gay on an expedition? Because like for, even for me, man, I've led so many of these trips, like when you meet people at the airport, like you always have that sense, I'm sure clients have it as well, this kind of imposter syndrome. And like, I just wanted to ask you, did you ever like kind of have, be cautious or, cause you, you just don't know, man. Some people on our trips, like we're from all walks of life and did you have any, any worry or, you know, people might be conservative or. Every time, but that's me. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not the people on the trip. That's me. Like I'd had the same caution if I, you know, about who I am. And that's because of the society and the world that I grew up in, like in the, in the eighties and the nineties, like yeah. Panty Bliss, do you ever see Panty Bliss's uh, speech at the Abbey? She makes a brilliant speech and she said, everybody's homophobic. Yeah. She said, she's homophobic. <laughs> It would be impossible to have grown up in Ireland in the 80s and 90s and not be homophobic. I know. Like, I'm homophobic. I feel that there's something wrong with me. Like, so I would definitely never, I never, I've never ever told anybody in a trip. I just allow it to, just to get out. Yeah. So that way it goes out and then I don't deny it, but I would be uncomfortable actually saying it. Yeah. And that's just because of who I am. And I'm, I'm aware of that. And there's, it's very hard to change that. No, that's so, the generation you grew up in, man. I'm like, it's the generation know. I grew up in and I'd be very cautious about it, but that reflects me. It doesn't reflect because I've never had anything negative in any way Yeah. from any client. It, it's taught me how wrong I was myself. Do you know what I mean? Like when there's other people on the trip who actually turn out to be gay that I didn't even know about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so no, I think it's a great trip for people to go on because all of the trips, because you're traveling, you know, the people who tend to go on them are people who are very open-minded anyway. They want to travel. They want to see new cultures and new religions. So it tends to attract people who are very open-minded. So, no, I've never had anything vaguely negative from anybody. Share that story with us. You were telling me um, when I called you up a few days ago, you were telling me about the one, um, I think it was someone on your Machu Picchu trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, like, obviously, before Earth, before the Earth's Edge trips, there's a, a training weekend on in Glendalough, usually. Yeah. So myself and Craig went down to it and we were there and we 
did the training day, doing a hike around, um, I think, Camaderry or something like that. At the end of the trip, there was this husband and, husband and wife who were there and they were trying to figure out me and Craig and they couldn't figure out the dynamics because obviously we would have been kind of chatting and friendly and the, she was like, and, and are you brothers? <laughs> and I was like, no, we're not brothers. And then she was like, oh, you're, you're like just friends that are going together. And I was like, no, we're not friends. And Craig's like, he, he's, he's my boss, my partner. Because <laughs> Craig would be very open. Yeah, yeah. But then he, he's, he's younger, do you know what I mean? He, he doesn't have the same homophobia as I do. Yeah he's my husband and she was like oh 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 oh, that makes sense now that's fine <laughs> and then when she was saying when they were saying goodbye to us and I was like and I and like obviously I knew they were husband and wife and I was like so I hope yourself and your brother had a nice day today <laughs> oh brilliant <laughs> well, we became great friends and like yeah. we had a great trip together and we found ways of laughing about it at numerous times in the trip and it just cemented a relationship do you know what I mean yeah no absolutely that's hilarious I'm sure she was mortal like you know she was mortified <laughs> oh god I'm brilliant to put my foot in it myself you know I'm always doing it it's just the worst thing ever but Joe come here before I let you go if you if you were you know giving some advice or they're thinking about doing their book on one of these trips with Earth's Edge or whoever it is like what would you what would your top tips be like for someone thinking about going on a trip oh I think just go for it I think just go for it you know pick a pick a trip like Machu Picchu or Kilimanjaro um, to start with. I thoroughly recommend the Kenya Tri Adventure. You know what I mean? I never understand why it's not as popular as Kilimanjaro because I think it's the most incredible trip. So if I was advising someone to go on a first trip, I would tell them the Kenya Tri Adventure. You know, I think it's an amazing trip. Do the exercise, you know, get your cardio in beforehand, get out cycling and walking and running. And then just on the trip, be just follow, advi- follow the advice of the guide and they know what they're doing. Eat well, sleep well drink lots and lots of water. And if you do those things, um, you'll have an amazing trip. Don't be hesitant about going because you're on your own. So many people go on the trip who are on their own. You know, I'd say well over 50, 60, 70% of people on trips go on their own. And it's usually because they just, you know, they just want a new new experience in life, a new adventure, a new challenge. And they come back, you know, with a new perspective on life. So yeah, I think anybody who's thinking of going, jump at it. Yeah. Amazing. Cool, man. Well, listen, hopefully we get back running trips uh, sooner rather than I later. I hope so, yeah. yeah. I really hope so. And I really missed it. This is my first year not doing one, I think. I know. You know. It's everybody's first year not doing everything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know you're having a hard time, but like, Jesus, we've had a tough time. But, you know, yeah, it's going to be all the sweeter though, man. We're back on big mountains, you know, after the year that we've had. But uh, Joe, that was awesome, man. really love that chat. Thanks a million. See you later. This podcast was produced by Earth's Edge. We're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.